You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. You're listening to the 14th episode in the Ultimate House Hacking Guide for Denver. This title is called Playing the Long Game. Now, so much emphasis, uh, just in general when it comes to real estate investing, so much emphasis is put on acquiring a property or getting a good deal on a property or how to analyze it at you know a current purchase price and a current rental property, which is great data to understand. But on the flip side, we're all buying properties to achieve some type of early retirement goal. That way you can retire before Social Security at 66 or, or whatever that age is. And understanding the fundamentals of how to play the chess game with real estate portfolio is really, really important. I can tell you there's a lot more than just buying a property and then paying it off. There's nothing wrong with that strategy, but if you look at a lot of the financial modeling that we've done or other people do, it shows that if you reposition equity in those properties or you know go back there and do things for those properties, you're a lot more likely to achieve your cash flow grow greater. And a lot of the investors I know around town, uh, they don't just buy properties and pay them off. They buy properties and when it makes sense, they go in there and sell the property, do a cash out refi, keep the property. There's lots of options they go through and it's helped them build a lot of wealth. So in this module, we will go through lots of different scenarios on here. And it's all prefaced around achieving that $10,000 a month goal, since that's a very common goal uh, that investors have. So we talk about refinancing properties to drop PMI and order lower interest rate, except there's one thing that often trips people up when they do this. So make sure you listen to that. We talk about using a cash out refinance to go out there and help you buy your next house hack and then future properties as well. We go through a scenario of a detailed scenario of buying a cash out refinance and then using that to go out there and buy rental properties, not going out there and buying more rental properties. And then we go through um, the details of actually taking a property that you've had for a while, you've had some equity build in there, and you sell it, and you execute a 1031 exchange to trade up in the properties. So all these we go into super detail, a lot of detail on. Get any questions, definitely uh, reach out to me. I'm always happy to clarify. And if you're listening to the podcast, you can always reference the blog post as all the numbers and spreadsheets are in there. They're also in the chapter and chapter 14 in the book. And if you want to see the play-by-play of us clicking around, go watch the YouTube video. Again, if you've got any questions, feel free to reach out to me because I love talking about this long-term financial modeling. All right, let's get on with it. Here's a recording with me, Joe, and Jeff. Enjoy. So let's talk about a few key points to keep in mind in terms of real estate that are keys to building long-term wealth. Now, one that's often not mentioned and definitely does not show up on a spreadsheet is just the experience and the knowledge that you gain. So, for example, uh, a few minutes before we started this recording, uh, Joe, Jeff, and I were talking, we were getting ready for this, and we were talking about the module that we recorded previously, which was the one Jeff led on just how to manage your property, getting tenants, all that stuff. And, you know, Jeff was, you know, we said to Jeff, like, hey, dude, after hearing all your stuff, uh, that just makes us even happier while using property managers, uh, just because, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff going in there. And Jeff was like, yeah, I get that. But, you know, my plan is I'm going to do this for a couple more years because I got the time, I got the interest. Once I get to a point, I'm going to move on to, uh, you know, hiring a property management. 
But while Jeff is out there doing that himself, while he's in the trenches uh, doing all that, he's gaining a tremendous amount of experience and knowledge. And that is really hard to quantify, but it's such a key item to keep in mind when it comes to building you know, just long-term wealth, because that's one of those things behind the scenes helps people execute on deals and get just get things done. So keep in mind as you're doing all this and the times when they're they're rough, because you'll have those times when they're rough where you got a tenant that does something to you or to your property, I should say. Um, that's part of the experience. That's part of the knowledge. And it helps you become a better investor. And that's one step towards you building that long-term wealth. And you can't learn all of it from a book, right? Just You can yes. read books. You can learn all sorts of stuff. But there is no substitute to actually doing it. I'm sure, Jeff, you would agree with that. Yeah. The books, you know, it's great to have knowledge and build from there, but uh, point, you know, going all in and buying your first property you'll, and managing tenants, dealing with contractors, that's your, that's your education right there. And so getting on to some specific metrics here um, is cash flow. Because this is what often everyone thinks, hey, by real estate, you get cash flow. Now, by this point, you should know if you go out there and buy a house sack, you go buy a single family home house sack for, you know, 5% down a $4,000 property while you're living there, or once you move out, you're not getting rich off that initial cash flow. Your margins are tight. It's not uncommon to have a slightly negative cash flow property to neutral to a few hundred dollars to maybe a thousand dollars if you got to, if you're really rocking things well. But either way, if you're making a thousand dollars a month um, off that property, no one's retiring off that one property. Um, or at least knowing that I know you're talking off that one property and you're, you know, that's not, you're not getting rich off of that. But something that Joe and I always talk about with our clients is what's your biggest expense? And Joe, what is my biggest expense when I buy a rental property and I use you? Uh, your mortgage. Number one thing every time mortgage. Yeah. And key thing about this, because you go through Joe you're getting a 30-year fixed mortgage payment. And I always buy stuff on 30-year fixed. That's what I always recommend my clients. And Joe, whether you're doing a house hack loan or investment property loan, what's a rough percentage of investors that do 30-year mortgages and those that don't? 99% uh, of my clients do 30-year fixed rate mortgages. Less than 1% do adjustable rate mortgages. Yeah. So if you think about this... Um, Think about, uh, you can't see me right now, but I got my arm. It's flat, and that's showing a, you know, that's actually the mortgage payment. Your mortgage payment stays the same in month one to month, you know, 320, 350. 360. Right, there, right towards the end, 360. I couldn't do the math in my head. 360. But what generally happens over time? Your expenses go up some, but your biggest expense is not, you know, is is uh, is your mortgage that doesn't go up? The other stuff, utilities, taxes, they go up some. Uh, what else goes up? Rents go up, and so as your rents go up, that's where you start seeing bigger and bigger cash flow. And if you look at you know historical numbers in Denver, we generally have about a four percent rent appreciation. Now, will be like that in the future? Who knows? Um, but you know, that's our best guess because that's what we've seen in the past. So you got in year two, year three, year four, year five. And you should see more cash flow after your ta after your expenses and after your mortgage payments because your biggest expense is fixed. So we'll go through an example of this on one of the spreadsheets, but conceptually, I want you to understand that because again, this is one of the things that builds long-term wealth. Another thing that hardly anyone ever talks about is the amazing tax benefits you get you get from real estate, also known as depreciation. 
not appreciation with an A, but depreciation with a D as in dog. And so what this is, this is a rule from the IRS and the federal government that says, hey, if you own an investment property, you can depreciate uh, a part of the property and actually have it go and have that loss go on your taxes. And so what it is, is really a, a paper loss or a phantom loss. It's not real money that you're actually having the right check for and you're losing. But in your tax return, you actually get to take a deduction off of there. And that often puts cash back in your pocket at the end of the year, come April, May, June, whenever you file your taxes, because that actually lowers, uh, lowers your tax liability on your property and actually can go across other income streams. So we've talked more about this in another module and definitely talk to your CPA about this because this is a benefit that is hardly ever talked about. Joe, can you add anything on the depreciation? Because I, I, I want to get people the sense of how important it is, but I don't want to teach like an hour-long class on there. So I just want to emphasize how amazing this is. Um, yeah, so not sure everybody's political views on the call, but you know, you watch... TV, you you read things whenever they talk about uh, you know this this tax change or that tax change, and they're always talking about the upper one percent. The upper one percent get all these benefits of owning real estate. The upper one percent get all of this benefit from from these various tax things. Depreciation is something that the top one percent get a ton of benefit on. But guess what? Even the bottom one percent, if you own real estate, get a lot of benefit on that. So this is a way to level the playing field a little bit with owning real estate and have you take advantage of some of the things that the Warren Buffetts of the world get and the the other billionaires of the world get on their tax benefits. Depreciation is one that even little guys can take advantage of. So you definitely want to understand it. You want to make sure maybe maybe if you don't understand it, you want to make sure your CPA understands it. That's the most critical person who needs to know how to do it. Joe, I'm glad you, I asked you because that was great explanation. So the other thing to keep in mind is the equity that builds in your property. And there's two ways you get equity in your property is through appreciation. Now, Joe, can we guarantee appreciation? No, sir. But what do you estimate when you buy a rental property? What do you estimate for appreciation? So I always assume 5% growth year over year. The reason I assume that is because I only buy properties in Denver inside the C470 loop. In the last 45 years in Denver, prices have gone up an average of 6% every single year. Now, there's been some times when prices went down, sometimes when prices went up 2%, sometimes when prices went up 15%. Over the long term, Denver prices appreciate at 6%. So because of that, I take a more conservative approach and assume 5% appreciation. And Jeff, when you buy properties into your long-term modeling, do you expect a property do you expect properties to appreciate? I do. And actually I'm a little more conservative than Joe. I only do 3%. Yeah. And that's oh, man, pretty common like here. You, you'll hear people, it's usually between three to five percent. You hear people doing it. If it's higher than five percent, I think it's a little too optimistic. Lower than three percent, I think it's being too conservative. But if you're anywhere doing three to five percent. I fall in there too. Depending on my mood, I'll do 3 or 4%, but I usually do 3%. So keep in mind, as you build appreciation, or as the properties appreciate and you build equity, that starts building what I call your real estate piggy bank. It's not cash you can take out today that gets deposited in your checking account like your monthly rent does, but later on down the road, when you go to sell the property or you go talk to Joe, do a cash out refinance, you can actually take that money and go out there and buy more properties. So it's money you're building in the uh, for future use. The other way you build up equity is through principal pay down from your tenants. So 
and I say for tense, it's actually whenever you write your your uh, mortgage payment, uh, your mortgage payment goes to two things. Part of it goes towards interest and part of it goes towards principal reduction. And since your tenants are paying your mortgage for you, you get other people's money paying down your principal. So every single month, if you're writing a $1,000 check, a couple dollars of that, or you know, a few dollars of that, or whatever the amount goes towards principal. And again, as you pay that down, you're building more equity in your property. So we have a really, really detailed podcast on here. And Joe and I also teach this class a few times throughout the year. If you want more details, check out uh, the Investment Property Analysis Course Series, Module 1, Cash Flows on Everything, or come over our classes or webinars where we talk about this. Because we spent a good hour, hour and a half just talking about cash flow, depreciation, appreciation, principal pay down. And it's amazing. And it's one of my favorite classes. And we always have a packed house. So I want to pull up a spreadsheet here and actually go through some of these examples. So what we're looking at here, this is the spreadsheet uh, or the property, the spreadsheet we did back in one of the early modules where we talked about a deal analysis. So this is just the case that we've been using for a while. It's that $375,000 detached house in Aurora that is being rented room by room. So as a quick refresher, the person bought for 5% down. Uh, purchase price was 375, have a 3.875% interest rate. The numbers we'll be showing you on here, we're assuming a $3,200 rent, and that's assuming four bedrooms at $800 a month, and that the person has moved out of the property since then. So we're gonna go to one of these tabs on Joe's spreadsheet called the long-term analysis. And this is a tab that we have not talked about yet um, on this call. So what this does, it's actually just a long tab or a long part of the spreadsheet that shows year one to year 30 uh, every year of what your payments are, your cash flow, your expenses, and all the items in here. So Joe, can you give us a quick rundown on what you, what we have on this page? Yeah. So um, do me a favor and just click on the cash flow tab real quick on the bottom. So this, if you'll scroll to the top, please, this is your one year cash flow analysis. All right. And this has all of your details on it. Now, if you would, Chris, go to the long-term analysis. And year number one is the same result from that cash flow tab. It's just shortened and zoomed out a little bit. So that year number one is everything we were looking at on the previous slide. Okay. And then you go over to year number two. So you assume that rents go up by the amount you've increased rents. We assume that repairs and maintenance go up based on those increased rents taxes, insurance, utilities, everything goes up by a factor of 3% for uh, inflation. And then continuing down, you've got your net operating income, and then subtracting out your mortgage payment and your mortgage insurance, which very important, those two items don't change. They remain the same with the exception that mortgage insurance eventually goes away, which you can see over to the right hand of the side of the screen that in year 10, you're paying $0 in mortgage insurance. So you're Mortgage payment and your mortgage insurance, those are inflation protected. They're fixed, right? They're not going to increase. Um, then you've got below that your property value. Your value is increasing based on the amount we put in there. Maybe I put in 5%. Maybe Jeff puts in 3%. Um, you can adjust that on the yellow highlights uh, on the inputs tab. And then your mortgage balance is paying down because every month a portion goes towards principal and a portion goes towards interest. And then it shows your total equity. So you can see as you go along on each year for your cash flow, 
your cash flow is growing, your mortgage payments staying the same, and your equity is going up. And then the very bottom you've got in blue is the appreciation. You've got the dollar amount that the property appreciates, and then the percentage based on how much you invested. That's your return on investment. Your cash flow in green, the dollar amount, and your cash on cash return. You've got in red the debt pay down. Um, and that's a really important one because that's a big return you're getting by paying down that mortgage. And then the percentage there is a percentage of what you invested. And then your cash flow from depreciation in yellow, those are the tax benefits you're getting. And then the percentage of those benefits that you're getting based on how much you invested. You total that up at the very bottom. That is your total return on investment in dollars and then percent based on how much you invested into the property. Great explanation. And if you guys listening out there cannot see the spreadsheet, don't worry about it. We'll walk through a few examples here. As always, we're happy to share the spreadsheet with you as well. Because I think it's like, I don't come to this tab very often because I'm usually analyzing a property from a one-year standpoint. But it's a very powerful thing to come look at here and understand, hey, what's the difference between year one and year five and year 10 and year 20? If you spend some time actually really study that, Maybe go back and play around some variables as far as you know rent and price appreciation. You'll start seeing the impact on here and helps you start understanding that long-term impact. So we're looking at year one here. And when we say these numbers, this is at the end of one year. So we bought the house for $375,000 and now it's worth $386,000. So about $11,000 gain because we're assuming a 3% price appreciation. Well, now the mortgage balance is down about $349,000. Well, that's a $36,000 equity you have in there. And your equity is your property value minus your mortgage balance. That's your equity. And the cash flow is $4,971. So let's fast forward to year, uh, actually let's do year two first. So year two, we're assuming, you know, uh, rents go up some and that you're still paying down your payment. So as you'll see on here, all the expenses you know, operating expenses, they've gone by 3% because that's the inflation that Joe has plugged in there. I happen to agree with that assumption. So the expenses go up. They went up from $9,800 a year to about $10,100. His mortgage payment said exactly the same. So the uh, PMI payment. But now the cash flow is about $7,300 a year because we saw a jump up in uh, rental income. Now the property value went up another 11000 and change. So between the property value increasing and our uh, mortgage balance decreasing by about $6,000, our equity is about $54,000. That's an $18,000 equity gain. That's a lot of money in your real estate piggy bank after a couple of years of owning the property. Now let's fast forward to year five over here. So year five, the first thing that jumps out to me is that the mortgage payment stays exactly the same. We're still at $20,103. So does the PMI payment. We're still about $1,500 on there. Expenses have gone up. Rents have gone up. But now the total annual cash flow is $9,843. The original cash flow in year one was about $4,900. So we've almost doubled the cash flow since then. And we've done anything to the property? Nope. We're just paying bills. We're making sure it runs well. But we're paying our mortgage payments every month, and we're being good landlords, and we're increasing our uh, our rental rates every year as leases turn over. Now, if you look at the property value, well, now the property is appreciated from uh, three seventy five 
to $434,000. So great, we've seen price appreciation there. And now we also have our mortgage balance has decreased from about $350,000 to about $321,000. So now we're seeing an equity of $113,000. So right now in year five, using pretty conservative assumptions, we're looking at a six-figure equity gain and almost $10,000 a year in cash flow. Not too bad for what we put down $27,000 on this property. I like those numbers. So let's fast forward to one more year over here, and we'll do year 10. So this is five years out. So now we're looking at about a $14,600 a year cash flow. And you'll notice a couple of things. Expenses have gone up. Rents have gone up. Our mortgage payment is still $20,103 a year. But now that PMI has dropped off. So now you see nothing there. And so, Joe, if we're in year 10, we buy this, like, what does a person need to do to make sure that PMI drops off? Nothing. Just make your payments. It'll automatically go away once you reach uh, that 78% loan to value. Uh, If you get there sooner by making extra payments, once you get to 80%, you can actually call your servicer and request it to be removed. But once you reach 78%, it'll automatically go away. It actually occurs, I think you have a Mac, so you can't do the little expansion, but scroll up just a little bit, Chris. Um, there's a button where you can click on See All Years. And I know it doesn't work on, on Macs, um, but you can actually click that button and you can see year number six, seven, eight. I believe this scenario, this was 5% down, so it would be in between years eight and nine is when that mortgage insurance would go away. And that does vary depending on how much money you put down, uh, the interest rate, et cetera, because as soon as you hit that uh, 78%, it does automatically go away. And so now we're at year 10, we're making almost $15,000 a year in cash flow. Our equity is $224,000. And that's a quarter million dollars in equity while your cash flow is $1,000 a month. So again, that is damn amazing from a 5% down property at a, you know, $27,000, $28,000 down. And I mean, you can always go out to year 30. I tend not to go all the way out there to like year 31, just because, you know, that's so far in the future. Who knows what happens? But this is where things get crazy if you really go out there. You're going to be cash flowing uh, $64,000 a year. Now, that's assuming your mortgage is paid off. That's also assuming future inflated dollars. We're also assuming the property value has increased dramatically 3% a year, nothing too drastic. But now you have an equity of $937,000. So would, uh, you know, in 30 years, would $64,000 a year help you out with retirement? I think it would. I mean, it help me out. Um, so let's go back, though, and just really take a second to digest this because you have the power of this by holding on the property and letting things you know, just play out. And what becomes interesting, I'm just going back to year five and year 10 columns, because year five is we're seeing $113,000 in equity. Year 10 is about $225,000 in equity. So we'll go through a few examples because this money in your real estate piggy bank, your equity, gives you a lot more options to go out there and actually start really leveraging this money to go out there and buy more more properties. And this is how you can turn one property into three or four properties. So, George, if anything, guys, any comments you guys want to make on this before we go back to the PowerPoints? The only thing I would say is you look at this and you're like, man, these numbers are insane. In year 10, this property is generating $41,000 and making 154% return. It almost seems too good to be true. But I want to tell you, 
I've done this for a number of years, tracking my properties. And I'll go back and look at a property that I bought four or five years ago and look at this analysis and then plug in where we're at today. And it amazingly enough actually works out better than what you see on this spreadsheet because we've been seeing increased rents, we've been seeing increased appreciation, and inflation has been less than we've got factored in here. Um, so it, it looks like just absolutely bananas to get this type of return. But buying the property and holding on to it, you're going to get generally an even better return than what this spreadsheet shows. Jeff, what what's your experience been, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, that's why I like this spreadsheet because this is just. Uh you know, uh, trend, like a forecast for somebody. And if you do things right and you follow certain strategies to maximize your cash flow and you know, minimize vacancy and repairs by, you know, choosing really good tenants that don't destroy your property, you can achieve even these numbers are realistic and then some, you know, that these are just, uh, it's just a simple model, uh, not simple, but, uh, a model to help analyze um, and forecast. And by managing it correctly, these numbers are realistic for anyone who's listening right now. All right. So going back to some examples now. So I want to go back and, and you know, we put a lot of numbers at you there and go back to this goal we've talked about a few times. It's a really common goal we hear from people, and that's making about $10,000 a month in cash flow. Uh, and so remember, the basics of this, if you want $10,000 in cash flow, the simplest way to get there is to have $15,000 in gross rents before any expenses on properties with no mortgages. And a very common way to accumulate those properties and get this goal is, is buy those properties until you get $15,000 in gross rents, then stop buying the properties and use a debt snowball method to pay them off. So uh, now on the example we went through, we were assuming some longer term, you know, uh, higher than higher rental rates by doing a room by room about $3,200 a month. So I'm assuming, you know, when you retire in 15 years, you probably don't want to be managing like eight properties with, you know, 30 tenants on different leases. That's not a lot of, that's not my dream idea of retirement. Um, so I'm assuming, hey, let's just say you actually, in a few years, you're actually going to go towards long-term tenants or, you know, a, a single tenant in your property. So that'll be a lower uh, rental rate that you have. So going back to the same property, that house will um, rent for $2,500, probably a little bit more, but I'm just rounding out for easy math. So if I want to get to a gross rent of $15,000 and this property I just bought can rent for $2,500, well, $15,000 divided by $2,500 is going to give you six properties. So that means I need six properties, six paid off these properties hit this $10,000 a month goal. So is it possible? Absolutely. Um, but are you going to get house act fatigue? Uh, potentially. Joe, what was the number you shared last time? You said all the clients you've done over the years, you've had one at seven years and most do, what were those numbers you shared? Oh, I've had one client do seven house hacks. That is the absolute max. Um, most stop three to four. And I guess I, I shouldn't say house hacks. They were actually doing Nomad like before house hacking was even a thing. So I've had, I've had one client um, buy a property, live in it for a year, move out, rent the prior property. They did it seven times 
Uh, that's the maximum. Although Jeff did say he's going to do eight just to yes. impress me. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see that. Yes. Um, <laughs> but most of the time, three to four times, and then people just get tired of moving. And so, I mean, and we're just sharing this because we want to give you a realistic picture. You don't need the house act for the next 20 years to be able to retire. But if you can do it a few times and then let the market do its thing, you really set yourself up for some success. And if, just keep in mind on that spreadsheet we're just looking at, Right around that year five mark is usually you start getting some more options to do with that current property. So uh, option one you have is that you can refinance properties to drop PMI and or lower your interest rate to increase cash flow. Now, as Joe said, you know, on a 5% down, PMI will automatically drop off around year nine. Now, what's happened is that sometimes the market just appreciates so fast, it makes sense to refinance and drop PMI. Or right now, we've seen interest rates drop more. So sometimes people are refinancing now to get a lower interest rate. So Jeff, let's talk about your fourplex, if you don't mind, because I know this is a very recent transaction for you. Yep. You bought your first, you know, you bought your fourplex house hack. How many years ago was it? Uh, August 2017. So about a little under three years. Okay. So let's yeah. just say three years for, for an easy yeah. example. Um. And so with FHA loans, they have PMI for the life of the loan. Just how they are. PMI never drops off. But then you just recently refinanced the conventional loan, right? Yeah. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for letting us help you with it. Why'd you do that, Jeff? Well, I know um, my main goal was, you know, realistically, I know with multifamily and Joe could speak more on this, you need a lot more equity to cash out refinances. So I wasn't thinking that. I was thinking more just uh, just a term refinance just to get out of my FHA loan to lower my monthly payment because I was paying like $400 a month of uh, FHA PMI or MIP, whatever they call it. Um, and I knew like, okay, that's a ton to pay per month. The rates are probably the lowest they'll ever be right now. Why not try for it? Um, and I knew... Last two and a half years, the market still appreciated. Um, so it's like, yeah, you might as well take the risk of getting a appraiser, appraiser out there to see what they think and hope for the best. And, and uh, yeah, go ahead. And so you said the risk of an appraiser. What's the risk of getting an appraiser out there? Okay, so if it, they, you know, it's one, it's an opinion of value. So you could uh, have the nicest property in the world. But if they think and they look at the other comps and everything tells him or her that it's worth X amount and you're wanting Y amount, the and then the X amount is not enough equity to get out of whatever loan you're in, then you're you're pretty much stuck either get another hire another appraisal appraiser or uh, just you know dealing with your current loan. And I mean, how much the did the appraisal cost you? Oh, uh, that for because multifamily and eight hundred dollars. Joe, is that what it is? Yep, yeah, it's eight hundred bucks for multifamily. So, I mean, you know, worst case scenario, and I, I wanted to highlight the word risk because in my mind, this is very low risk. I mean, your your risk here is, yeah, you'll be bummed out that you can't, you know, refinance your loan, but you still have the loan, you still have the property, but okay, you might be out some paperwork and some time, but you're at eight hundred dollars. Very, very low risk when it comes uh, to. Uh, rental properties. Now, Jeff, do you mind sharing like how much was your monthly mortgage insurance on your original FHA loan? 
Yeah, so about $400 a month for that mortgage insurance on that FHA loan. So, which is a lot of money, but yeah. obviously made a lot of sense because you're able to buy a multifamily for you know very little down using FHA. Yeah. Uh, what was your interest rate? Uh, three point uh, eight seven five. Okay. Yeah. And then you got this new uh, conventional loan, which is where PMI can drop off, but it's also an investment loan, which is just it requires a twenty five percent equity build in there. So, what's your interest rate on the new on the new loan you got? 3.625. So think about this yeah. for a second, guys. <laughs> Jeff Jeff has just, you know, he's continued house hacking. His life has moved on. He's bought a couple other properties. He's let the market do its thing. And hey, luckily for, for him, interest rates have dropped. Uh, prices have appreciated. So now just by doing some paperwork, uh, by uh, spending $800 on appraisal, he now has $400 more in cash flow every month by refinancing and I don't know how much of the interest rate drop save you, but that's going to be a few dollars a month, right? Joe, what's some quick math on that? What? Um, on a loan this point? size, probably about, a, I don't know, 100 bucks, yeah, maybe 75 bucks. Okay. So yeah. you're saving $475 a month now. And then Jeff, you know, did you have to put any money into closing to refinance the property besides the $800 appraisal? Ah, actually, even, even better. I got... Uh... A check at closing for five hundred bucks. Um, so it was kind of like uh, I don't actually, Joe. You could probably answer that. What, what was that check for? Was that just the timing of things or something? Yep, exactly. Well, it's actually yeah. it was your your first payment. It was a down payment on my tiger. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, so you know what happens when we do a new loan. Um, your loan is generally going to be in a in a round dollar amount, right? It's going to be. Uh, five hundred eighty-two thousand and five hundred dollars for or whatever, and we don't know when we set up the initial loan exactly what your payoff is going to be. We don't know exactly the day you're going to close. We don't know exactly how much interest is is going to be due. So we try and overestimate a little bit, and so your new loan is you know five hundred eighty-two thousand and and five hundred dollars. Well. Once we get all the final numbers on the day of closing, we've got a little bit left over. We pay everything off. We pay the taxes, the insurance, and that remaining cash just goes back to you because it is uh, it's cash back to you um, from that new that new loan. We call it ancillary cash back, um, and it doesn't uh, actually cost you anything additional. Um, as if you were taking twenty or thirty thousand dollars cash out, there's no change to your interest rate. It's basically just just rounding because we never know exactly what that dollar that final dollar amount is going to be when we get started. Um, and so, thank you for sharing that information, Jeff. But just to kind of recap this here, so Jeff bought this house. You know, let's just say three years going to make make it easy. He let the market do its thing. Jeff is a patient, long term investor here. And they said, hey, I'm at a point. I probably have just enough equity to maybe do a conventional loan to drop PMI. Interest rates are like a near an all-time low. Let's move forward with this. So he spent some time. He spent $800 on the appraisal. Actually got $500 back. So he's out of pocket like $300. And now every single month, his payment is now saving him $475 a month. That's a huge win. So let that think in. And this is just one of the options you can do as you start holding properties for the long run. Refinance it, and you may be able to uh, save some cash. Again, Joe has talked about this, but you'll hear us mention this again. It may reset the 12-month occupancy requirement if you're doing this while you live there. Now, Jeff has not lived there for a couple of years, so this is why it went to an investment loan, and there's no 12-month occupancy requirement on there. It's a landlord investment loan. 
And so, Joe, uh, generally speaking, you know, for for house hackers out there looking at refinancing to potentially lower their payments through PMI or interest rate, is there a general timeline? Is this something they can do three months later, six months later, three years later? What guidance do you have on that? Yeah, on average, it's about three years. And if you think through that, it kind of makes sense. If you buy a property, you put 5% down. And in Denver right now, we're seeing properties appreciate 6 to 8% per year, right? So the property goes up 6% for the first year, 6% the second year, 6% the third year. Now you've got that 20 to 25% equity in the home to refinance and eliminate that monthly mortgage insurance. So I have some clients that refinance sooner, um, but maybe they don't eliminate mortgage insurance. Maybe they're just looking for a lower rate. I have some clients that you know refinance later, five years, six years, and then they really save a lot of money um, because they've paid the principal down quite a bit. But generally, you know, air quotes, you guys can't see me doing it, but generally it's about three years is about the time that you need to be in a property before it makes sense to refinance. Right. And of course, this is something like use that guideline, but this is why you want to be talking to your lender and your whole real estate team on a regular basis because your lender, they'll give you ideas that, hey, this might be a good time to drop this or do this. I mean, Joe has called me in the past saying, hey, you should consider refinancing. We can save you money. I'm like, great. So this yeah. is why you want to have a good lender, a good real estate team, because they help you identify these opportunities. Yeah, that's one thing that, I mean, I have a couple of people on my team. That's their whole job is to go through our database and look, you know, they're looking at Jeff's loan once every six months. All right. Does it make sense for him to refinance? And they're going to go through it. Uh, nope. He's in the best possible spot. Great. We're going to send him an email or we're going to call and check in. Hey, you know what? One, two, three main street, Jeff, that's in the best possible spot. Unless there's a reason you wanted to make a change, keep doing what you're doing. But then, you know, it might be 18 months down the road, something happens, interest rates go down, um, the value of the property goes way up. We're going to call them, hey, you know what, Jeff, now's a good time that we might want to review it. You don't have to do anything. We might go through the review and you might say, you know what, I'm going to stick with what I'm doing. Cool. But at least we've reviewed it and you know kind of where you stand and if there's a way to improve it or leave it the same. All right. So option one, or I guess option one is do absolutely nothing. Just let the property do its thing. So option two is to go out there and refinance your property to lower your payment. So the third option is to actually do a, a refinance, but this time it's to do a cash out refinance to take some money out and go buy more properties. So very similar process to what we talked about with Jeff earlier, but now we're actually taking a cash out refinance. So Joe, from a high level, from your standpoint, what are the main differences between a terms only refinance like Jeff and a cash out refinance? Yeah, cash out refinance is going to have a little bit of a higher interest rate, generally about a quarter of a percent higher. That's number one. Number two, you're going to be limited on how much you can borrow. So if it's an investment property, you've moved out of the property you can only borrow up to 75% of the value of the property to take cash out of it. If it's still your primary residence, you can borrow up to 80% of the value of the property taking cash out. But don't forget, if it's your primary residence, you've got to live there for another 12 months. So it doesn't work if you want to take cash out uh, and then three months later, you want to buy your next house hack. You can do that, but you would have to refinance it as an investment property, not as a primary. So I just went through this process myself um, in November to do a cash out refinance with Joe. So I'm going to run you through the numbers real quick and show how doing cash out refinance on a, on a property can have a major impact on your long-term wealth building aspect. Um, so uh, 
actually, before I do that, one thing I want to talk about, actually, I just realized my next bullet point here. Uh, this was a strategic move that one of our clients did. Um, and so they're a family in Littleton and they're nomading around a few properties. Uh, they're not having roommates because they got, you know, their uh, husband, wife, they got kids and they don't want to have tenants or roommates or anything like that, but they can go out there. They want to acquire a few rental properties just for their future retirement, you know, 15, 20 years down the road. And so they met with me, gosh, I mean, sometime last year, we had our strategic meeting and I said, hey, go talk to Joe, get this figured out. They talked with Joe, you know, we all had some back and forth figuring out options because they had bought a house, I think back in like 2011, 2012, you know, quite a few years ago before they were into real estate investing, before they would have nomad was all this stuff, but they bought a house. So over those, you know, number of years, what's happened, they are sitting on a good chunk of equity uh, on their property. And so we ran through uh, scenarios of saying, hey, um, you can do a cash out refinance to go out there and buy more rental properties. And then I, they sat down with Joe and they ran through two scenarios. They ran through a scenario where they did a primary uh, cash out refinance, which would make them stay there another 12 months. Or they ran the scenario of doing an investment property refinance where they could refinance and move out you know, that same day. And so based on everything they did as far as the numbers, there was not a huge difference in this in the interest rate between those two options, nor a huge difference in the amount of cash they could take out. And since they were looking to do a few moves before their kids got too old and were into school systems, they said, you know, let's just go ahead and get the investment property interest rate, even though it's, you know, three quarters of a point higher than the primary refinance. Let's pull that money so we have it so we can go out there and buy one property. Because like, you know what? We could save what, $100 a month by doing this. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, we think buying one property one year sooner will make us a lot more money in the long run. And if you look at financial modeling, that is absolutely the right decision to make from a spreadsheet perspective. So what they did is they pulled out a good chunk of money. They bought property number two. And now they took out way more money than they needed to buy that first property. It's not because they can go out there and go on a bunch of vacations, but because as you know what, we're going to pull out this money because interest rates are low. We're in a good position. And we're going to put that money in the bank. That'll be our reserves. And that's going to help fund their next couple of down payments on the next property on Nomads, you know, two, three, and four as well. So this was a strategic move they, they did here. And this is just one of the other ways you can go out there and look at cash out refinances. So Joe, on this uh, transaction, what details am I leaving out? Nothing. I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, for these guys, uh, it made sense to have just a slightly higher interest rate to do that investment property loan on this property um, because then they were not stuck living there for another 12 months. They were able to get the cash that they needed. Um, and I'd have to go back and look, but I want to say they didn't even spend all the cash. Um, the, the dollar no, they, they got was, was pretty sizable. I want to say it was 60 or 70. And I think they put maybe $30,000 down on the new place. So they've already got 30,000 or approximately 30,000 in the bank to buy property number three after they've lived in property number two for the next year. And you're exactly right. Cause this is something we, we looked at once they got the quotes from you, I sat back down with them and we looked at, cause you know, they said, Hey, our savings rate is this per month. Um, and you know, it'd be hard for them to save that per month and buy the next property at that 12 month mark. So they pulled out the cash in the savings account. They're saving more. And that's going to be their reserves and help them buy the next couple of properties. So brilliant strategic play. But it took us about a month to figure this out, put it together. That's why they sat down with me and Joe. We figured this all out. And now they've got their plan out for the next two or three years. 
And you know, one of the things that I loved about this transaction, they didn't rush into it. I, I don't know if these guys are watching or not, but I'm a huge fan of these clients. They didn't just sit down and say, okay, this is exactly what we want to do. They were super methodical and super thoughtful. And we went through the options and they said, okay, you know what? We want to go home. We want to think about it. And they had, I don't, I wasn't there. I wasn't part of the conversation, but I'm sure they had very in-depth conversations for, okay, how much longer do we want to live in this home? Um, you know, are we comfortable moving out of the home right away? It's going to cost us a little bit more every month on this payment, but it's going to allow us to get to our goals sooner. Um, so I was just super impressed with these folks that did this because they, they took the time to think through it and really make a great decision for themselves. I a hundred percent agree. All right. Now let's, let me go through my example on cash at refinance. So as I've told you guys, you know, uh, my mother-in-law lives with us. That's the house hacking I'm doing by doing a family house hack. And so we could not find a house that met our requirements for us to live in and also for my mother-in-law to live in. Uh, so we bought a big house with a walkout basement. Uh, and then in 2018, we spent about $100,000 in building out the mother-in-law suite. So as a side note, I get people ask me all the time, hey, should I just buy a house with an unfinished basement? And, uh, just finish out the basement to mother-in-law suite? No, the numbers don't make sense. You're gonna spend, you probably won't spend $100,000, but you're gonna be spending 30, 40, $50,000. You'll be spending more likely more than the down payment you would be on the next property. So for a number standpoint, it does not make sense. Now we did obviously a very nicer hire and finish because this was you know, a place where my mother-in-law was gonna live for a long time. And so she wanted to be very nice to her specs. and. The way it worked was she sold her house where she lived, and then she took part of those proceeds because she lived in the house for like 30 years, took part of those proceeds, and she's the one that spent the upgrades on the mother-in-law suite. So it was a great win-win. She didn't have to go out there and buy a $4,000 house in, in Denver because she did not want to have a mortgage payment, um, and we didn't want to spend $100,000 on cash. So it was a great win-win. She spent that money, so she actually spent a lot less money than she would if she bought a house herself. And then we were able to not... We were able to minimize cash out of our pocket, and we're just paying the monthly mortgage payments. So another strategic play there we're doing, because uh, it met her needs, but also meets my needs, where I want my cash on hand to go out there and buy rental properties. So my loan at that time, when we bought the property and then we did the uh, remodel, it was uh, 4%, and my principal and interest payment was $2,118. And so we finished the remodel in like, I don't know, like, November, December, 2018. And then November, 2019, I did a cash out refi with Joe. And so based on everything, I was able to pull $106,500. Now, part of that was to market appreciation, but a big part of that was just the improvements we made to the property. So this was more than I expected, but I was happy to, happy to have that number. I was expecting less, but this made complete sense. And so my interest rate actually dropped by a quarter percent. So it went down to 3.75%. And my new payment went up by went up to $2,599. So my payment increased by $480 a month. So I pulled out $106,000, but my payment increased by $480 a month. Uh, what do you guys like? Do you guys think that's a good move, a bad move? What do you guys think about that? Like I pulled out a big chunk of money, but now I'm paying more money on that. Ooh, I've, I've got one, but I want to hear what Jeff thinks first. Um, if I can pull out 106000 and use that to invest in future properties and only pay an extra 480 bucks, I'd take that all day long. Simple. Without even thinking about it. Great. 
I love how he just like made that to that that like so matter of fact, but I agree that's that was a no brainer to me. Yep, so I think it's it. spot on. My question: What are you planning to do with one hundred and six thousand dollars? And and I ask this question of one hundred percent of my clients, and there's no wrong answer. If you tell me, hey, you know what? I'm taking that money and I'm going to Vegas and I'm having a wild weekend. Okay, good luck, more power to you. Um, but you're probably going to regret it. But you can do that. But I love what Jeff said. You're taking that money. You're reinvesting it into something else. That something else is going to generate more than $480 in cash flow all day long. I don't see any reason why you wouldn't do it because you're taking equity, the money that you already have that's tied up in your home, converting it into another property that's going to generate you more cash flow. I agree with Jeff all day long. And so that was my plan. And then just is just and this is one of the fun things about real estate is that things change. And then as Jeff just talked about, he refinanced his fourplex. I refinanced my primary house again right around the same time because interest rates just dropped even more. So this time I did a terms-only refinance, which is what Jeff did. I pulled out no cash, but I was able to get a much better interest rate. So now my interest rate dropped to 2.875%, so almost a whole point lower. So now my new payment's about $23.85 a month which is only $266 more than my original payment. So now I have $106,000 in my checking account or my savings account, and I'm only paying $266 to borrow that money. So I was happy with, I was thrilled at 480 and I was over the moon at 266. So let's walk through what I'm doing with this money. And this is actually one of the properties that I did purchase. And I've yet to purchase the other property, but that will be happening soon. So this is a three-bedroom, two-bathroom condo in Aurora. I won't go through all the details on the property, but I'll go through them real quick and then talk about the returns I'm getting on the money. So it's a $195,000 purchase price. I put 25% down. So all in with repairs, acquisition costs, down payment, I'm all in for $60,000. I got a 30-year investment loan through Joe at 3.875%. The property rents for $1,850 a month. So I have all the normal expenses in there and underwriting things. And that property is going to cash flow just over $4,000 a year. So let's think about this for a second. So $4,000 divided by 12, what's that, like $330 bucks a month? Yep, $330. Okay. So right there, this is only you know, $60,000 out of the $106,000 I borrowed. I'm making $330 a month in cash flow. Well, that's greater than my $266, but less than the original $480 a month I was making, which I was fine with either way. Because keep in mind, cash flow is only one aspect of it. Because just like what we talked about in that previous spreadsheet with the Aurora House Act, in addition to cash flow, I'm getting tax benefits, but also I'm getting an equity build on here. So just, we all know the power of like compounding interest that the sooner you put money into a retirement account, you know, the better you're off in the long run. Same thing with real estate. The sooner you buy real estate and you have the properties appreciate, your debts pay down, you build that equity, the more wealth you're building in the long run. So I'm looking at this not just as cash flow, but hey, now I have another asset that will be generating me equity, which then in five or 10 years, I can maybe just pay off or maybe I'll pull money out again and buy another property. So... Let's just pretend you know, I bought two of these and I'll buy a pro- another property pretty similar to this. So all in, I'll be in for about $115,000, $120,000. Well, I pulled out $106,000 and 
So I can make up that $14,000 difference. That's not a huge amount of money. You know, it's not like $100,000, $14,000. I can save that in a reasonable amount of time. So now if I just buy another property like this, I'll be making $8,000 a year cash flow. That's way more than what my payment is. And now I have two assets that are building equity and appreciation on, or that's building equity through appreciation and debt pay down. Plus I'll be getting a few thousand dollars a year in tax benefits from it as well. So this is just another example you can do as you own the property. And Joe, for someone to do a cash out refi like this, again, my situation was very unique that we spent, we did a huge remodel on the property and actually added that same amount of value to the house, which is pretty uncommon. What's a typical timeline where someone can do an effective cash out refinance here? Yeah. So this is such a good question. And it comes back to what you've been doing with the property. This was unique for you because you added value, right? You bought the property for you know whatever dollar amount it was, and you added $100,000 to it. Well, the value of the property went up 150000 which that's exactly what happens when you do a fix and flip or anytime you renovate a property, hopefully the value goes up greater than what you put into it. Um, if you just buy the property, you don't do any renovations to it, you're just going to have to follow the market. If the market's going up 6% a year, you might have to wait several years until you've got sufficient equity. Um, but one of the things you could do, let's take an example here. Click on long-term analysis, if you would, Chris. Yep. Let's go down to your value and um, a little bit more there. Okay, stop right there. Your property value and your mortgage balance. Go over maybe to year number five. Okay. So we've got property value of 248875 You could borrow up to 75%, which would be a new loan of $186,000. you have got to pay off, of course, the current loan of $132,000. So you'd be able to take out about $54,000 from the property in about five years. And that's assuming you don't add one nickel to it. You don't do anything other than put a tenant in there and just keep the property clean. In five years, you could take out another 54000 so, and use that money to buy another property. Do that math again, Joe, because you did yeah, that you want to pull up a calculator? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, you're good. I just want to explain this because this is, uh, we can do this quickly, but I know a lot of people, this is new stuff to them. So we're at yeah. year five on uh, the long-term analysis. Property values at 248875 yep. What do I do now? Now multiply that times 0.75 because you can borrow up to 75% of the value on an investment property. Okay. So this is your new loan, 186,656 minus, because you've got to pay off the existing loan balance of 132. So minus 132,011. So there's your amount of cash you could take out, roughly 54600 Maybe you're going to have some closing costs in there for a couple thousand. So maybe you would walk away with $51,000, dollars So now the question is, what would you do with that 50 some odd thousand dollars? Are you going to buy, are you going to go to Vegas? Are you going to party? Or are you going to buy another property? My recommendation, buy another property. You're not going to uh, get into a tiger breeding with Jeff and sell baby tigers? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. You might make a lot of money with that. You might lose it all, but you might make a lot. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's a great way to look at because this is what I often do with my clients. So, make sure you understand that math, uh, the math Joe just walked us through here. It's very simple, but this is a powerful concept and a quick way to do some quick estimations as to when you can pull out cash. Now, when I look at this stuff... Um, I usually see potential somewhere between like five and seven years. If you look at modeling, 
Now, the last few years of Denver Market has been crazy. It's been like three to five years, but using some more, you know, historical averages of like, you know, three to 5% appreciation, we're often seeing that in like that five to seven year mark where it might make a lot of sense to do a cash out refi. Yeah, what I think is interesting about this is what was your down payment for this, Chris? 60000 or something like that? Uh, my actual down payment was less than that. My down or, payment uh, was... Uh, my down payment was forty eight thousand seven fifty. Then, with all the acquisition the cost, cost repairs, yeah. about sixty thousand. Yeah, if you look back at your number, it was approximately if you did a cash out refi fifty, you know fifty four thousand six hundred minus closing cost fifty two thousand. Pretty much getting all the down payment money five years later, not counting any other cash flow or tax benefits or pre. Um, uh, anything else, you're, and you'll be able to get that access that money. It's not locked into property, and then you can multiply that money for another property, and then do it again. And then that's how you really build, play the long term real estate wealth building game. That's that a is great point. Such a great point, Jeff. Yeah. The other thing actually made me think about this too, because Joe, if I do a cash out refi with you, what do I owe in taxes on there? Zero dollars and zero cents. That is not a taxable event because it's not income property that you already own. And that's the big difference between a fix and flip or you sell a property. That stuff you owe taxes on, as Joe said, you do a cash out refi, you don't owe any taxes on that, which is amazing, which is a point a lot of people take for granted and don't, don't appreciate. All right. So I think we got that point across. So going back to that $10,000 a month goal we have, which is also $120,000 a year, I put together a very simple table to track this. So if I did my cash out refi and I went there and bought two properties like the one I just showed you, uh, once those properties are paid off, they'll be generating me $24,600 a year in net operating income. So that's rents minus all my expenses, except for mortgage payments, but then I have no mortgage debt on here. So if I just bought those properties, and let them pay off, or I took the cash from put the prop and, and paid them off themselves. That gets me 21% towards my goal of $120,000 a year. So by doing a cash out refi, now of course mine was unique because I actually put money in the property, but if someone just goes out there uh, and buys a house hack, then seven years as a cash out refi, they can leverage up like that. And now that can have a significant jump. I mean, I went from 0% in this example to 21% by using no cash on my pocket. That took me about one-fifth my way to the goal. That is powerful stuff. And this is why you can understand these tactics or these strategies and also be patient and be long-term, uh, have a long-term mindset. So you'll see, uh, actually, we'll jump to the next example here. Oh, plus I put a note on here that um, that number I share with you does not include any additional properties I've purchased from my personal savings rate and my monthly house hacking savings rate by having my mother all over with me. That was just the cash out refi I did. And that gets me one fifth of the way towards this $10,000 a month goal. <clears throat> all right, so here's another example. And this is a transaction I did. And this is just a, a great one. Like this is one of the stories where like, I had no idea what I was doing 10 years ago and it turned out to be a great play. Um, I, this is talking about a 1031 exchange. If you don't know what a 1031 exchange is, that is an IRS code that allows you to sell an investment property and then defer your capital gains taxes uh, and basically not pay them that and buy another property. Now there's a lot of rules with this here, but basically you can sell one property, 
If you buy another investment property within a certain time frame, you pay no capital gains taxes at that moment. You just kind of kick the can down the road. So it's kind of like putting money in a 401k account. You're just kind of pushing the money down the road. Except with this, you can actually avoid capital gains. Um, you don't have to actually ever pay it once you take the money out. It's an absolutely powerful wealth building tactic. And if you want all the details on here, Google it or check out one of our podcasts on it because I'm just giving you the, the name of what we're doing. And one thing to keep in mind is that at doing a 1031 exchange, which is where you sell the property and then reinvest it, um, it's just another way to extract the equity. And so depending on your property, your goals, the market situation, sometimes it makes the most sense to do a cash out refinance. And sometimes it makes the most sense to sell and do a 1031 exchange. There's no clear cut answer on here, uh, but it's just one thing to keep in mind. They're both ways to extract equity from your real estate piggy bank and go out there and buy more rental properties. So here's an example I did, uh, and I'm going to give you the highlight on here. When all the details, look at the return on equity uh, podcast I did because I went to a lot of details on this one. So back in 2011, before I was an agent, before I had any idea what I was doing with real estate, I bought a, actually it was a two-bedroom, two-bathroom condo in Rio, Nevada for $67,000. So I bought it, you know, right when prices were at the uh, lowest point. I got lucky there. Uh, after a few years, right around 2013, 2014, I turned into a rental property because I moved to another property. In 2019, actually in May of 2019, I sold it for $229,000. So what happened over those eight years? Why well, a huge equity build. I went from $67,000 to $229,000. Now, when I bought the property, uh, those units were earning about $1,100 a month. And when I sold the property, market was like $1,300 a month. So while my value almost tripled, my rents got nowhere near that. They even doubled. They went up by $200 a month. So that's rents not keep pace with equity. And so this is some of the times where it makes sense to sell the property and do a 1031 exchange. Because if I did a cash out refinance, this would be a native cash flowing property. So I could pull out money, but now my property would be native cash flowing. And that's usually not a great asset. So that's a very high level rule of thumb of a cash out refi versus a 1031 exchange. So after I sold it and paid off uh, the little loan balance I had, I paid the agents, the closing costs, all that stuff. I walked away with about $172,000. And so I put this into a 1031 exchange because I didn't want to pay capital gains in there because I owed like $40,000, which is a lot of money. And then later that year, I bought a fourplex in Westminster for $850,000. And then in actually in 2020, I'm in the process now of refinancing to a lower interest rate. And I mostly want to talk about the trade-up, and I'll talk about the interest rate here in a second. But I made a note on here that even if I'm refinancing this property or like Jeff refinanced his fourplex, great. That's getting more cash flow today but that will not affect your long-term retirement goal when the property is paid off. It just gives you more cash flow today. So refinancing is a great benefit to get more cash flow now, but once the property is paid off, it has no impact on your retirement goals. So let me pull up the spreadsheet here. And I'm gonna go through this real quick and just talk about some of the numbers on here. Uh, so I bought for $850,000. My total all-in investment is about $228,000. So I have to bring an extra like $40,000 cash to close to do this transaction. My interest rate's at 5.25%. But 
But altogether between rents and some utility bill back, rents are about $6,600 a month. So my current place in Reno is renting for $1,300 a month. So Joe, you're, you're like a math genius. Is $6,600 greater than $1,300? Yes, it is. I didn't even have to get my calculator out for that. <laughs> That's why you're a fantastic lender. <laughs> um, so I put in normal pre- assumptions here, 5% vacancy, 3% appreciation, 10% for property management, 8% for repairs and reserves. And both of those numbers, my real number is actually lower than that, but I'm putting in higher numbers for a long-term average. So look at this from a long-term perspective. My taxes are about $3,600 a year. Insurance is $1,550. Uh, all my utilities are like, I don't know, $5,000, $6,000 a year for water, sewer, trash, electric, $1,000 for landscaping and some snow removal. So you can see here, it's a good property. So long-term, it's like a 5.8% cap rate. So for a multifamily, and this is actually in great shape, that's a, that's a really good deal. Now you can see here, after I pay all my expenses and I pay my mortgage payment, my cash flow is about $7,300 a year. Now in reality, it's actually higher than that, but I'm doing a long-term average on here. So about $7,300 a year, and my net operating income, that's my cash, that's my rent, minus my expenses, but before mortgage payments, is about $49,500. So once the property's paid off, that's the amount of money I'll be making free and clear that I can live off of. So I want to take that number in mind, 49500 And let me go back and compare that to what that property in Reno would do for me. And Joe, uh, actually, I got it here. So my condo return, and this was my current numbers if I kept it as a rental property, my cash flow after all my expenses would be about $2,900 a year. Using that 33% rule, that 33% of my rents will go towards my operating expenses, I'd be making about $10,500 a year once the property is paid off. And that property would have been paid off in about seven years because I actually had on a 15-year mortgage. So in seven or eight years, I'd be making just say about $1,000 a month for easy math. So if you look at that towards my $10,000 a month goal, that's, that gets me 8.7% of my way towards my goal. Now, my annual fourplex return, my current cash flow at the 5.25% interest rate using very conservative numbers is about $7,300 a year. Joe, back to your amazing math skills. Is $7,300 a year greater than $3,000 a year? $7,300 is greater than $3,000. Yes, sir. All right. I might have one more question for you on here. So as I'm getting this refinance done, my interest rate should hopefully be right around Jeff, so say about a 3.75%. Well, that's going to give me a $14,000 year cash flow. And so again, all I'm doing is I'm just refinancing the property in terms only to drop the interest rate because interest rates have dropped. So this is just another way we can layer these tactics on top of each other and actually increase your cash flow day while building your long-term wealth. So using that 33% rule, saying that once the property is paid off and I have no mortgage, I have no mortgage payments and I pay my expenses, I'll be making $49,500 a year. Again, whether I refinance or I don't, that number stays the same because that's assuming the property is paid off. Now, once I have that $49,500 a year in annual cash flow, that gets me 41% towards my annual goal of $120,000 a year in income. 
So I went from 8.7% to 41% towards my goal. Was that a good move? I say yes. Jeff, what do you think? Absolutely. All day long. (laughs) And I mean, this is just one of those things where like people just often don't think about it. And I can't remember if I said this on this module because I say this to almost every single client I talk to now. I'm like, whatever property you buy the very first time, there's a really good chance in like 10 years or 15 years, you no longer own the property. Because I bought this property. I mean, I look back, as far as I could tell, I was the cheapest condo ever purchased in that complex. I mean, I got so lucky when I bought that place. And I literally drove up there on a Saturday, bought the place and drove home. I spent like one of the things I spent three hours looking, bought it, went home. Um, I bought it for 0% down. I got a private lender to give me 0% down on a 15-year note at 5%. So my instant return on there was like, you know, an infinite return of money because I put zero money down. Closing costs were wrapped into there. I mean, I put $0 at the closing table. My first out-of-pocket money was my first month's rent payment or my first mortgage payment, you know, a month later. So I was like, I am never going to sell this property because it's such a screaming deal. And this was before I knew anything about real estate. Then I got into real estate, learned the power of cash out refis and 1031 exchanges and realized, oh yeah, I'm going to sell this SOB. Because you can see here, my retirement income went up by almost five times. Went up from about $10,500 to almost $50,000 a year. So is doing a 1031 the right move for you? It may be, it may not. Depends on a lot of things. Depends on how your property does. Maybe it makes sense as a great rental property and maybe do a cash out refi. As I said, this one didn't. Maybe once it has enough equity in there, you're so close to your retirement goals. You're like, hey, I don't need to buy any more properties. I just need to finish paying off the mortgage. So it's one of those things that just depends on a lot of factors on there. You, the market, the property, your goals. But this is stuff you want to keep in mind on here. So going back to my tracker here, uh, talking about that first example with those two condos I purchased, I'll be having about just under $25,000 a year in cash out refi for my primary residence. I'll have just under $50,000 a year on my fourplex. Add those two together, I'll be right around $74,000 a year in income. That gets me 62% of the way towards my goal. Now, the vast majority of that money actually came from equity in my properties. Now, my refi, my primary refi, I'll have to bring actually like $15,000 to buy the property. Um, For my fourplex, I brought $40,000. So I brought an extra $55,000 in cash to buy these rental properties. But if I just use that $55,000 to buy a property, I could buy one condo. Rather, I use that with my equity, and I bought two condos and a fourplex. I'd say so that's, that's a pretty the, good deal. Yeah. yeah. But you know how I got that? I was patient. And Joe, you've been in real estate longer than I have. How many investors are patient? Mm, how many? Boy, that's a good question. But I can tell you, I don't know. I don't know how many are patient, but I can tell you this. All my wealthy investors are patient. I think that's the key phrase right there. And I mean, that goes with true for people that build a business. That goes true for people that build a stock market. This is not a, a fundamental to just real estate. It's a fundamental to building wealth. Um, and just to highlight this fact, we've talked about this a few times, you don't need a grand slam first property because if you hold on to it for a while, your cash flow will increase and your equity will increase. Both of those gives you options on there. Um, 
Another key point to remember is that accumulation of multiple properties is vital. As we talked about in the very first module of the slide, um, I'd rather have five okay rental properties versus one Grand Slam property. Because fast forward 10 years, I'll have more cash flow and I'll have more equity than Jeff with his Grand Slam first property. So what if I had bought three of those condos back then? You know, bought one in 2011, bought one in 2012, bought one in 2013. I might be close to three fourplexes right now. And that's the power of accumulating multiple properties. All right, guys. So for this module, anything to add before we wrap up? Nothing for me. No, that was fantastic. Cool. And so, guys, like I said, th to me, this is like the really fun part to investing. It's that long-term wealth building aspect. And just as a reminder, some additional resources you can use. Later this year, we will be publishing a Create Your Real Estate Investing Strategy course. Make sure you, you plug into that. Uh, meet with me, meet with Joe, meet with Jeff on a regular basis. We're here to discuss these options with you, to look at it. I mean, when I make um, you know real estate moves, I often talk to Joe. I'm like, hey, Joe, I'm thinking about this. Let me bounce this off you. So like, I, you know, I do that with Joe. My clients do that with us. So make sure you're talking to your real estate team about that because any other people to look at that will help you identify opportunities and also make sure you're not doing something silly. Uh, last but not least, make sure you do read and eventually write a chapter in our annual 2020 Guide to Denver Real Estate Investing Strategies. Every year, a new book will be published. And currently, anyone's invited to go out there, write a chapter, and put it in the book. Joe and Jeff were in the 2019 edition. They're also in the 2020 edition. And I'm pretty sure you guys will be in the 2021 edition, right? Definitely. I hope I get invited to come back. <laughs> oh, of course. Now, Jeff, actually, Jeff, if you want to be in the next edition, man, I, I need a baby tiger. So yeah, just, I'll, I'll provide just, that for you just so I can get be in the 2021. Just planting the seed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. So this kind of wraps up everything, not just for this module, but the whole ultimate house hacking course. So we really appreciate you getting this information out there. I know we went into a lot of details out here, but that's our whole goal with this. We talk about this stuff almost on a daily basis, and we have so much knowledge. We want to give you a ton of information out there to start learning about this and build a great resource to go out there and study it. If you have any questions on the content, or we can help you out with buying properties, financing properties, running your house act, reach out to me, reach out to Joe, reach out to Jeff. So everyone, thank you for going through this course with us. And Joe and Jeff, I really appreciate you guys doing this with me. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for putting this together. And Jeff, thanks so much for joining us, man. It's been great to have you here. Great to have your experience. Um, you know, it's good to have a, a new person so I don't have to listen to all of Chris's jokes, uh, all of his <laughs> same jokes all the time. I'm glad to have somebody new with new jokes. Well, now we got yeah. a baby tiger joke, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we Thank will totally run that into the ground. Like seven years from now, we'll still be talking about that. People are like, what? What baby tiger? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, thank you guys so much. It was a huge honor to be invited and help out with this. And I also learned from your perspectives and on all the other podcasts I've heard from you as well. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. Everyone out there, have a great one. Hey, thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, if you have any questions or need clarification, shoot me an email. Or if you want to grab a physical book copy of the Ultimate House Hacking Guide, also send me an email. My email is chris at Denver investmentrealestate.com. A couple other services that we offer, if you need help putting together your investment plan and buying your first or your next house hacking property, reach out to me. That's what we specialize in. 
If you need help with lending and financing, reach out to Joe Massey. That's his specialty. And if you need help in stabilizing and operating your house act property, reach out to Jeff White, as that's his specialty. Now, all their contact details in the show notes. If you have trouble funding them or you just want to keep it simple, shoot me an email. I'm happy to answer all your questions and also connect you with Joe, Jeff, or whoever you need to talk to. All right. We'll see you next episode.